Meet Mindy. She has Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism and is dealing with low energy and anxiety. Her mom also has Hashimoto's, and Mindy's concerned that her symptoms and disease progression may be worse due to her family history, and she feels like things are just what they are because of her genetics. When I met Mindy, I saw that she was putting so much stock into her genetics that she was missing out on a whole host of things that she does have control over. While genetics are important, they only account for about 15%. And not only are there a myriad of other things that we can do to turn those on and off and support our bodies, we also have to be aware that there's another big thing that we always do acquire from our parents that can actually create more issues than genetics. Thankfully though, this is something that we do have the power over and can completely shift it if we desire. I knew exactly where to look to help Mindy take control of her Hashimoto's and her body. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. You just heard about Mindy's struggles and her concerns, and joining me today on the show to talk much more about this is Anat Perry. Anat is a dear friend and colleague of mine, and she was actually on a show a few years back in episode 55, where we talked about emotional resilience. So definitely check out that episode if you missed it. Anat is an inner child expert and the founder of Training Camp for the Soul. With 18 years of experience in developmental work and years of study as a trauma-informed coach, Anat has combined mindset, somatic healing, safety, connection, nervous system regulation, and inner child reparenting into one extraordinary healing method. Anat, I am so excited to have you back on the show. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, when we think about diseases as they relate to family history, we often think about genetics, the genes that we may have gotten from our mom or our dad, and those are the things that make us more prone to certain conditions or certain symptoms. However, there is so much more that can come from our parents that can either contribute to disease or actually help us heal, and a lot of people don't realize that. So tell us more about this. Yeah, it's something that called epigenetics, right? The, the biology of our beliefs and how we view the world and how we react to life and how that impacts our nervous system and whether we are able to operate in a parasympathetic state or we're always in a stressful state. You can imagine if someone is operating in a stressful state because of their beliefs or not feeling safe in their body, not feeling safe in the world, not able to express themselves or let themselves be seen by people, that that's going to have an impact on the, re- on the whole system, on how everything works. 
So everything being tied to the nervous system. Yeah. And so much of what happens to us, especially early on when we're kids, is going to affect our nervous system so directly, right? Yeah. Everything is learned by what we see, what we hear, and what we feel energetically from our caretakers. If they were both present, then there was either good learning or dysfunctional learning. If one or two of the parents were absent at certain points, then a lot of times there's a gap in learning. So we really want to see that you you come into this world and sure, on a soul level, you may (laughs) know a lot, but as a little human, everything needs to be learned. Think about a child that um, grows up in China versus, I always forget that country in Africa where they eat with their hands. In China, they eat with chopsticks. Here we eat with a fork and a knife and a spoon. And like, we're all human, but yet we all learned something different and took it on as the way to be. And so everything that we do is learned. And the, the power and the beauty of understanding our epigenetics is that we can turn them on and off, just like in gene expressions. And it all depends on our beliefs and how we regulate our nervous system and how we speak to ourselves and therefore how we operate and show up in the world. Now, why is it that we learn so much at such a young age? We're, we're a sponge, there's the the brain is in theta state, a state of hypnosis, um, till about the age around the age of seven. The state of hypnosis, their brain is in the the cognitive brain, the logic brain, the thinking brain isn't turned on yet. So they're just taking in information, just soaking it in, absorbing it all in um, from their environment, from what they hear, what they see, and what they feel. Everything is taken in. Which is why if you have young kids like you do, um, they, like Juliet, I'm sure, says things that you're just like, wow, she sounds just like me. Yeah, because she's just, that's all they're doing. They're just taking it in and copying. And uh, that is how we learn. And for the most part, we learn this from our parents. What you're saying is so important. And this is something that I really, really want people to understand that the reason why we're going to learn about 90% or even more of everything that we are ever going to learn before we're seven years old, which is kind of crazy because that's so young, right? We don't have a logical mind. So we're learning this because we are in this theta state. It's the state of, like you said, being a sponge and absorbing. And because we don't have that logical mind, anything that's coming in, so like the mannerisms, like you said, of our parents, so what they say or don't say, that comes in. And that's such an important thing because, yes, we have our genes that are going to somewhat determine certain diseases or predispositions, but our genes only account for about 15, 1-5, 15%. And those, of course, cannot be changed, but all of this learning that we get from a mother or father or other caretakers, this is, you know, it comes in, but these come in then as beliefs and other things that we learn to accept, whether we like it or not, that can be changed, which I think is so exciting and empowering. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely can be changed. Uh, We can reprogram all that. If you learned it, you can unlearn it. It just takes connecting to the mind and the body together. And, you know, just like think of yourself like a garden, You know, you see a garden that naturally in its environment got whatever it got, whatever landed in there. 
and grew weeds, maybe grew flowers. You can come into that environment and with the right tools, clear those things out, those weeds out by the root. Key is the right tools and plant in what you want. And the same thing, you plant something in, it's not necessarily just going to grow miraculously on its own. It's going to need time to germinate and to sprout before it grows. It's going to need water. It's going to need the right amount of sunlight. It's going to need all that. And so we, we, are, we are one with nature. We are the same way. We can um, just in that same exact way uh, shift our beliefs and our energy and our emotions and really plant in what it is that we do want and start to show up in the way that we want to in the world. Right. Yeah. And um, before we talk about all the different things we could do to change it, can you talk a little bit more about how some of these beliefs that we could have acquired from our mother or our father or other caretakers before seven, before we actually even realized we acquired them, how those beliefs may not be serving us and more so how those beliefs can actually contribute to different diseases, autoimmunity, Hashimoto's, thyroid issues, and, you know, just diseases in general. Yeah. So you think about mom, we'll start with mom. Like mom represents an extension of self. Uh, Reason is that the second that mom uh, held you, you didn't know that you were looking at mom. Um, You didn't understand what mom was saying. But her, her voice, her energy felt familiar to you. It felt like what you were just listening to and feeling for the past nine or so months. And so a child doesn't see mom as separate. A child sees mom as an extension of self in that moment. Mom becomes that child's role model for everything related to self, for how you talk to yourself, how you see yourself, how you treat yourself. Um, and you learn it by either what you see mom doing, what you hear her saying, how she feels about herself, or how she makes you feel. So, for example, if mom was always busy, busy, taking care of the house, taking care of everyone, and not really taking time for herself, so she'd be completely depleted and exhausted by the end of the day. And the child is witnessing mom being busy. The child is also witnessing mom being exhausted and and, and not taking time for herself, not filling up her own cup. So really running the nervous system on empty. And they may learn, the imprint may be, put others first. Don't take care of your needs. Always be tired. That there, there isn't enough. There isn't enough. You can never get what you need. So, you know, the impact of that is that the child itself may feel like they're not getting what it is that they need, or they don't know how to resource themselves. Mom is their model for self. She's going to show you by what you see, what you hear, what you feel, how she resources herself and how she resources you. And if she doesn't do that well, then you don't have a model for that. And so you may learn to always run on empty and not resource yourself. Again, that could lead to more stress. That could lead to self-abandoning. Yeah. And a heightened nervous system, which of course is at the core of so many different diseases. One of the other things I was thinking as you were talking is if mom doesn't take care of herself, she may not also be speaking up about what she needs 
because she's always taking care of everyone else. And that could also go back to that fifth chakra and the freedom of expression, which has a lot to do with thyroid because the thyroid is housed in that fifth chakra. And so many people with thyroid issues, it's harder for them to express or to explain how they feel or just tell their truth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It forms that like people pleasing and appeasing you know, when the nervous system goes into a uh, sympathetic response, it's fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Fawn is that like wanting to appease and please, not speak up, not upset anyone, not say the wrong thing. And so that's that, you know, that's one of the ways that the sympathetic response shows up. And so I imagine that that's the case for a lot of people with that. And so a lot of the core work and opportunity or one of the opportunities is learning to regulate the nervous system, learning to self-regulate, learning to slow down, learning to speak up. Yeah. Now, what about the inflammatory component? There's so much inflammation that often comes with Hashimoto's and thyroid issues in general. And I know that there are specific beliefs and probably so many more that I'm even aware of that can actually increase inflammation in the body. Can you talk about some of those? Some of those beliefs? Or learnings that we could have gotten from our parents that could be increasing inflammation, like shame, for example, or anything else that you can think of? I would say either shame and fear. You know, if there was a lot of chaos, a lot of turmoil in the house, a lot of activation where the heart rate is increasing, where there's um, fear in the system. So building up more of that, that, that heat, that inflammatory response in that way. And shame is just like, you know, when we are like closing in on ourselves, we're just stuffing it all down. We're hiding it, we're holding it, we're harboring it. We're creating more of that stagnation, that stuckness, which again could create inflammatory responses. Yeah. Now, some of the things we were talking about are things that we would get from our mother because mother is extension of self. What about the father? Are there certain learnings that we are more likely to get from our father that can either help or potentially hurt as it relates to disease? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I want to say one thing that I, I forgot to mention, which is that we learn to either copy, rebel, or survive. So somebody listening right now may be like, well, my mom was like that, but I actually decided I'd be the complete opposite. Exactly. So sometimes we copy or we say, I'm never going to be like that. Or it was a traumatic experience and we needed to take on some persona, some way of being in order to survive that situation because it was repetitively happening. Now, when it comes to dad, uh, dad represents um, everything that's not the self. The very first time dad held you as a baby, you didn't, again, know that you were looking at dad or that what he was saying, but the energy co from, coming from him felt very loving. I mean, it becomes so real for men the second they hold a baby that, you know, this is real. It's one thing to, yeah, they, they feel the kicks, they see the belly growing, but it really becomes real for them when they get to hold you. And there's just this ecstatic feeling of like ecstasy, so much love pouring from them, maybe a little bit of anxiety and fear there, but so much love pouring from them. And that is emanating. And that's what the baby's feeling. And it feels different. It feels different than what they were just used to with mom. Mom 
Mom's love grew over nine months. Dad's came in like, like an explosion in that moment. And it felt amazing, but not the same. And therefore, it became the first time that that baby's experiencing something outside of me. Like, this isn't me. This is everything that's not me. And so dad becomes the role model for everything that's not the self, for others, for the world. Dad literally is your world. And for connection to others, for like what it is to relate with others. So you're always looking at dad. You could replace the word dad with the world and mom with self. And again, we learn from what we see, what we hear, what we feel, we either copy or we rebel or we survive. But with dad, because he represents that, like that outside love, and it was such a burst of uh, high vibration of love that we experienced in that moment, we're always wanting to come back to that. I don't know about you, Ina, but I held dad on a pedestal. Yeah. A lot of us, there's this feeling of like, daddy's up on a pedestal. Why is that? Because he's that source of like love. He also represents the ultimate father, God. And so whether you're a, a female or a male, we're always trying to get back to that feeling of love and connection with something outside of us. So we tend to hold them up on a pedestal and they either live up to it or they break our heart. Um, but we're always trying to, uh, to be seen by them, to be met by them. And so as far as how this could impact disease, how this could impact Hashimoto's thyroid uh, disease, I would say I see it as, again, like the same things could come up of shame, of not belonging, of um, wanting to be seen by another. I mean, I'd be curious to ask you, Ina, if you don't mind answering, being that you're someone that has struggled with this yourself, with thyroid issues, with Hashimoto's. What was your relationship with dad when you were young? How did he show up for you? How did the world show up for you? Were you able to be fully yourself and fully self-expressed? Or was there a part of you that needed to be a certain way? So it's a really interesting question. And, you know, I've done a lot of work around this over the years, but I have, I agree with you, I have sort of held dad on a pedestal. And he was always there for me. He was the one that was always, you know, talking to me and seeing what I needed and seeing what I wanted. Because with my parents, it was my mom that was a little bit more of, okay, you have to do this and you have to get good grades and you have to play the piano and do all of the stuff. And my dad was more like, oh, it's okay. Like, oh, you want this? Okay, let's talk about it. And I had always thought before really digging into some of this work, I'd always thought that my dad was sort of more my friend. And I, I, obviously, I don't want it to come off wrong. Not that my mom wasn't my friend, but she was sort of the one that's like, you need to do this. This is how it is. This is the, the rules. authority. It, the authority. Exactly. Yes. Where he was more like, okay, I get it. You know, and so I always thought, like, well, there's nothing that I picked up from my dad that was, you know, wrong, so to speak, or that would be you know, quote unquote damaging because he was always kind of there for me and he was just, he was always there. That's really the thing. But what I had learned, which was interesting and I never would have figured out on my own, but just from doing some of the work is that because 
he was there, but at the same time, he didn't necessarily stand up for me. Meaning that when I would say, you know, I don't really want to play the piano, but mom was the authority saying, you're very good at piano. So you have to play. How can you not play? You're too good. You can't not play. Right. And he would sort of say to me, well, I really understand you don't want to play. He would acknowledge me but at the same time, he didn't necessarily do anything about it. He would say, I understand you don't want to play, but you know, you're really good. So just, you know, your mom's asking, do this for your mom or whatever it was, right? Or whether it's do it for your mom or do it for yourself because you don't know how it's going to help you in the future and you're just too good to quit and all of that. So it was like he was sort of being the nice one. But I never realized what that taught me was that my feelings actually don't matter because even though he acknowledged me, he didn't say that it was okay to do what it is that I really wanted, which was to quit the piano and do dance or something else. Yeah, yeah. But it's not okay to be who you are, to be who you want to be. You have to be who we say that you have to be. So you could imagine the internal battle inside and you think about like our, you know, antibodies, right? Like inner fight that the, you know, Hashimoto's creates that fight to like, I want to be who I want to be. Like, this is who I am. And then there's this other part that's saying, but you have to be this way. And that like self-rejection or self-abandonment therefore, because at that age, it, it didn't feel safe to fight them on that. Right, exactly. I didn't feel like I had a choice. Yeah, again, you you appeased. You went into that fawn response. You appeased where some other people might have had that same type of experience with their parents and instead they fought back. Yeah. They spoke up even more. They they fought for it even more. Yeah, exactly. And I think I appeased for sure. And I was a people pleaser for a long time, which I know is such a big thing as it comes, it relates to Hashimoto's and autoimmunity in general, because it, it really kind of infers lack of boundaries. But I was too young to even understand that I can have a boundary. I've worked on that a lot and have shifted that a lot. But I wonder with everyone listening right now, how many other people have had, you know, maybe not the exact same experience because there's so many different beliefs we can get, but something that is similar because I just find there's so many people with Hashimoto's that tend to be people pleasers. I see it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you included. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the other things um, that we could learn from dad that can make us be uh, in that state of people pleasing or wanting to always do for others even before ourselves? If dad, for example, didn't give you the attention, didn't spend the time with you, was emotionally unavailable, was a workaholic and busy with other things, that was my father then uh, you might have learned that like you're, you're invisible, that you don't matter. And so compensating for that, for me, looked like, well, when I saw that my dad was stressed, um, I would want to help him. When he would be at home, it was like, how can I help dad so that I at least get time with dad? Mm. Yeah. And a lot of that formed like this need to, I just wanted to connect with that. I just wanted to merge with him in that way, not speaking up for it, not knowing how to be vulnerable and share it in that way, uh, but instead hiding how I feel and just 
putting on whatever show, doing whatever it takes to be around dad. And so, and, and, I'll, and I'll share more specifically what I mean by that is if I spoke up and actually said, you know, dad, I, I miss you. I, I want some time for us to just play together. Will you play with me? Um, then we would have gotten that real connection quality time. But instead, it looked more like, well, dad was now working from home <laughs> downstairs in his office. He had a job, but he also had a business. And it was like, hey, dad, how can I help you? Oh, you can se separate these papers and these you know, staple these things and file these things. And so it's like as if I'm spending time with dad, but I'm not really, it's not a father-daughter date. It's I'm his little helper and I'm abandoning the part of me that wants full presence, full attention from him. Mm. And so again, it's that part of abandoning our own needs not knowing how to speak up for what we need and just taking whatever we can get and giving, giving, giving. And like, that's the way to feel I was having time with dad. Mm -hmm. I made up in my mind like, oh yeah, daddy and I, we spent a ton of time together. But if you asked me like quality time, I was like, oh, I don't remember any. We'd go to the beach and the whole family, there'd be car rides to my grandparents' house. But it, again, it's we we fall into this. I fell into this illusion of um, fantasy of whatever it takes to at least be around him. And so, like the opportunity and going back to that same like pleasing and people pleasing and being afraid to speak up because um, we don't want to create more loss is just creating that self-abandoning. Right. And then it's, you learn that and then you just do it again and again, I'm assuming then in other relationships, potentially with other males or other people in general, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I <laughs> unpacked this, when I saw this, I was in my early thirties and working with my mentor and I remember sinking into the couch as I realized, oh my God, I am doing this in my current relationship with a guy who owns a, he was a chiropractor. He had his own practice and we were literally like the week before that in conversation. And this was my idea to say, how about I quit my job and I'll just come help you at your office. Mm. And I'm like, oh, there I was, like wanting time with him and thinking the way to get time with him is to give to him, to work for him. And, you know, seeing it also in my first relationship. So, yeah, all my relationships up until the point of healing this, I kept attracting that same pattern. So now I'm happily married and quality time to the max. I mean, my, my husband went. The, went to the gym with me yesterday. He's like, I'm, he's like, I'm going because I want to spend time with you. He's like, I've worked out four days in a row. He's like, to me, this is like, so that we could do this together. Like, he just looks for every opportunity to do things together. And we've been together almost six years. I'm still getting used to it. I'm still getting used to having a partner that like, we'll go food shopping and 
he'll be like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to grab the bananas while you grab the chicken. He's like, no, no, no. We're supposed to do it together. (laughs) Everything together. So um, absolutely. We will repeat patterns over and over again until we rewrite them. Think of your life like a movie, like a script. You're acting out certain roles and you're casting people to play out roles in your movie. So power, the opportunity is to recognize that you can become the editor and rewrite. And I've personally done a lot of work around boundaries in the past year. I mean, yes, I'm a recovering people pleaser and no boundary holder. And so much, it's, 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 it, it's continuous work, right? It's like next layer, next layer. And the layer for me in the past year is super firm, clear boundaries with people. Um, protecting myself uh, in a way that I never have. And when I mean protecting, it's like protecting my time, um, protecting my, my emotions from people that may say things that feel like they're crossing my boundary, like it's not their place. And the impact of doing this is that I have a much calmer nervous system. I'm much happier. My heart rate variability is higher. My, my thyroid is operating fine. I have Hashimoto's, but like my thyroid's great. It's just like my number one priority every day, even as I'm speaking on this podcast right now, I'm paying attention to like, where am I speaking from? How is my nervous system right now? Can I stay calm? Can I speak softly in a way where I'm not activating too much in my system? Because too much could lead to inflammation. So all these things are making a difference in me being able to feel healthier, feel better, and operate fully. And that, I mean, the nervous system is just such key to everything when it comes to health and autoimmunity, especially autoimmunity, really. But for those who are listening, that understand this. They understand that the nervous system plays a role and, you know, it's something where it might be new to them about learning some of the beliefs that they could have gotten from their mother or father because they knew about the genetics, but maybe not some of these other things. And they realize that they, in fact, may be a people pleaser, or there may be other things that they could have gotten from their mother or father. Where can they start in terms of looking at this and healing this? Can we talk about some of the things that people can do at home right now to start to support this? Yeah, yeah. A good practice to do at home with yourself is grabbing a journal, piece of paper. And when you find yourself triggered, activated, upset by something, or feeling stuck, like having, feeling frustrated, having a desire that you really want and not knowing how to get to it first, is grab a piece of paper and just imagine you're speaking to your very best friend who's just like, hey, what's going on? Tell me everything. And you don't need to filter it because she she accepts you. She doesn't judge you at all. And just dump everything out. Write it all out. And if you can't write fast enough (laughs) for that and you prefer recording yourself, then go ahead and take a tape recorder or, I mean, 
tape recorder, <laughs> our iPhones <laughs> these days and pretend like you're calling your best friend and she's just ready to listen and just record yourself saying everything that's there. And then listen back, or if you wrote it down, then read back what you wrote and look to identify what I call your inner child, also known as your emotions, your feelings, your beliefs. Your inner child is the part of you that is holding these beliefs and, uh, and these emotions. And it's important to do this practice because Otherwise, we can't hear this part. Most likely who we're going to hear is either our inner critic that's judging us or our ego that's trying to protect us and make us feel better by pointing a finger outside of self, by distracting ourselves with anything external so that we don't have to face the internal world. So we've got to be willing to look inward. And if you're just sitting and having a conversation with yourself in your head, most likely that voice, your inner child, is not going to be the loudest one. The loudest one are going to be the inner critic, the ego, or also what I call the shadow. And the shadow is like the part of you that holds the shame, that wants to hide, that doesn't want this to be known. And so the opportunity when we write it down or when we record ourselves and we listen to it back or we read it back is that we can start to hear and identify whatever we said or wrote, I feel like dot, 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 or I am dot, dot, dot. And then also anywhere that there's a I want, that's your heart speaking. That's like your truth. That's, that's your real desires right there. So can you give an example of, you know, say a, a statement maybe or some, a paragraph of something that someone may have written or maybe you potentially have written in the past where you can actually see and like weed out what that inner child is saying? Because I think for someone who is just doing it for the first time, it may be a little bit hard to see, well, what's me, what's ego, what's shadow, what's critic, and what's inner child. Um, so if you give us an example, that would be great for people to understand. Yeah, I can give you an example. And it's everywhere that if you were to read it, it's everywhere that you are saying, I am, I'm, I'm upset, I'm angry, um, I feel like he doesn't listen to me, I feel like I'm being left behind, I'm all alone. That's what it's going to sound like as opposed to, um, you know, the inner critic is like, I know I should be doing more. Anywhere that you're shooting yourself is, 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 is the inner critic, the judgment. And the ego is like, well, it's all his fault. He should be, she should be, oh, you're, you're, you're better than that is like the part that's going to just want you to feel better. And so it's important that we connect to how we feel and what we believe. And so that's the inner child. I feel dot, dot, dot. I feel like anything that, that has a like in it, what comes after that is a story. What comes after that is a limiting belief. I feel like nobody listens to me. I feel like nobody cares. Oh, so you have a limiting belief. Nobody cares about you. Your feelings don't matter. So, First step is what I call journal dump. Dump all this out. Get it all out and then be like, okay, 
Here's what the inner child's really saying or feeling. And then picture, I mean, there's a lot that we could do when, when you're working with me or one of my facilitators, but if you're doing this at home by yourself, the next thing you want to do is picture that little one walking into the bedroom or whatever sacred room, sacred space you imagine you're in with your younger self. If it's a playground, if it's the bathtub, if it's the bedroom, if it's the closet, <laughs> wherever it was like that safe space for you or create that safe space and start to imagine bringing that little one in there. And so that little one walks in and he or she are the ones that are saying that statement or that feeling. So I feel like no one listens to me. What would that little one need to hear in response? Mm. So it's almost as you're not imagining yourself as them. You are still you. And then you're seeing them as this younger version of you, which is almost like this little child. And then you're having a conversation with them. And so they're then telling you, hey, no one listens to me, right? And that's when you would come in and say, oh my gosh, I had no idea you feel this way. I'm here. Tell me, let me hug you while you tell me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tell me more. Let me hold you. And literally give yourself a hug because that feeling and that belief is happening inside of you, right? Are you fighting it? Are you rejecting it? Are you in battle with it like an antibody? For most people, probably. Exactly. So the opportunity to embrace that part to hold that little one, to parent her the way that you always needed and maybe didn't get. And I'm not saying that this is going to be a one and done easy. This is a practice, especially if your mother was not that way. And so you may find like, I don't, I don't want to hold myself or I don't, I don't know how this is, this is too hard this is too much. And be like, oh, wow. Don't you, like, I see this a lot with my clients and I'm like, they'll tell me about how their mom was with them. And I'll say, oh, so you're treating your little one exactly how you learned. You're literally mothering her the way you learned to be mother. I mean, you were sharing about your mom being very rules oriented and the authority and like rigid. And this is the way you have to be. And what do you find you struggled with? <laughs> Same, I guess. Like at times, at times, I imagine you talk to yourself the way mom talked to you. Yeah. Because mom is self, right? And so, it, so we have that dragon to slay, so to speak. And it's showing up constantly for that little one every time and bringing it into practice forming this new muscle, this new neural pathway of how we engage with ourselves. And that could be through creating visual recordings for yourself. It could come from recording affirmations and listening to them. All those are like practices that that way in the moment, you're more in tune with that part of you and what that part needs as opposed to in autopilot the way that mom always spoke to you and then talking to yourself that way. So 
it's like learning, it's like actors that are learning a new role. You know, I think a lot of times we don't give, we don't give enough thought to when we're watching a movie or we're watching the Oscars, what it took for that actor to fulfill on that role, to win that Oscar. Thou hundreds of hours of looking in the mirror and practicing the facial expression, studying the character of that. Hundreds of hours spent on that. And so we're the same way. We have the same opportunity if we want to step into acting a new way with ourselves. Practice. Practice, practice, practice. And that's really helpful what you're saying only because I do think sometimes people think, oh yeah, let me just do this one therapy, this one treatment. And yes, that could be helpful, but it's about, like you said, creating these new neuropathways, about recreating the relationship. And there's also many different parts of us, right? There's this child part of us that could be five years old. And there's probably another part that may be 10 because something happened at that age. And maybe another part of us that's 17 or 23, right? Because there's all these different things that happen in different stages of our life. And I think depending on what's going on. And as people journal, they can bring in these different parts of themselves at these different ages and be able to tend to them. And sometimes, you know, I have some clients where we do some of this work and because of whatever may have happened, when they do try to connect with their inner child at a certain age, they tell me, you know what? She doesn't want to talk to me. And that could happen too. And that's okay. That just means that a little bit more time is needed. So there's so much on that spectrum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I love that you brought that up. I want to say two things. One is that we can have a lot of transformative experiences in moments. You can read a book and have an aha transformative experience. You can go do a session or go to a retreat and have an aha transformative experience. But what creates lasting transformation is how you integrate that experience, is in the practice of it, is in the repetition of it. And so that is really the key. Now to speak to what you just said of when people, it's like, well, my inner child doesn't want to talk to me. Yeah, because if you have been dissociating or putting yourself down or shoving your feelings down for your whole life, <laughs> it's like shoving that child inside a little drawer and closing the drawer right? or the closet. You open that door, the child's not just going to run into your arms and say, hi. I missed you. No, they're scared. They're scared to know, can I trust you? Be like tiptoe out and maybe go back in. And so what's necessary in that, if you think about it on a nervous system standpoint, is learning to create safety within our body, to feel safe, to connect, right? If we take the metaphor away, it's like what's happening is you don't want to be with this part, with this feeling, with this sensation. And so something else that I love to give away here is to start to learn how to scan and embrace the sensations in our body. And I'll give you the steps to that. 
And the key, the reason is that sensations are the language of the nervous system. And so when you can learn to be with sensations and name sensations, then what you're doing is you're speaking to the nervous system. And then the nervous system's like, oh, okay, I know how to process this. Thank you. So when we normally think about our feelings, we put it into two buckets. Good feeling, bad feeling. Happy, horny? Yes, more of this. Scared, anxious, <laughs> angry? How do I fix it? And the how do I fix it is a desire of the mind. It's the mind thinking that it could actually control the body. It's not working with the whole nervous system. In fixing, you don't need to fix. The nervous system knows much better than you. You just need to speak in that language. And so the opportunity is, let's say you do your journal dump and you identify um no, you know, my husband, he doesn't, he doesn't care. He doesn't listen to me. I'm all alone. I'm scared. Um, I'm afraid. Oh, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be anxious. Okay. I need to fix this because we are in the label of the emotion. I'm anxious. I'm scared. I'm alone. So we want to go one layer deeper. Think of it like the weeds in the garden. <laughs> the labels of those emotions are what you can see, are above the ground. But at the root of it are sensations. So the opportunity then is to start to connect to your body. First with the breath. Just taking a deep breaths. Um, so how we take a proper deep breath is we exhale all the stagnant air out of our mouth, all of it out, all of it out, so that our first deep inhale is filling up the whole body, deep into the belly, the diaphragm, expanding up. And then we just continue to take deep breaths from there. And sitting in a way that you feel supported because what we're trying to what, what we are doing not trying to do what we are doing is what i call we're priming the body for safety we're looking for to to feel safe to occupy the body instead of the head and the mind and so you want to sit in a way that you feel supported so you want to lean back on something you want to strengthen you want to you want to um Straighten your spine, sitting up or laying flat down and repeating, I'm safe to explore, safe to be in my body. And the mind may say, no, you're not. And the body may say, I don't know, I'm not. Okay, well, look, then, then where, if that comes up for you, where it's like, I can't believe that, then where do I feel safe? And start scanning your body. Start with your toes. Wiggle your toes. And what sensation is there? And wiggle your hands and check for the temperature. Are your feet cold or warm? Are your hands clammy? Are they cold? Are they hot? Are they neutral? And then moving from there. So it's like, oh, okay, there are safe parts in my body. 
and then starting to scan from head to toe. What's, what, what temperature is there? Um, how does my butt feel as it's sitting on the chair? And starting to find those familiar, what I call neutral places. It feels neutral. And then once you feel like, okay, there's neutral places, there's safe places that I can always go to and tap into, you can explore a little deeper by going to those beliefs, those emotions of, I feel anxious, I feel scared, I'm all alone. And repeating it to yourself, I, I am anxious, I'm scared, I'm alone. And scanning for, where do I feel this in my body? Is it in my stomach? Is it in my gut? Is it in my solar plex? Is it in my chest, in my throat, in my shoulders? Where do I feel it? Does it have a size? Does it have a shape? Does it have a texture, a color, a temperature? And you bring all your focus to that part. Because if you're in surgery, you're focusing laser focus on that part, naming it in as many ways as you can sense. Is it contracted? Is it moving? Is it still? Is it heavy? Is it light? And then what you're doing is you're being with that quote-unquote bad emotion at the level of sensation with nothing to fix, nothing to judge. So repeating yourself, there's nothing to fix. Nothing to judge. Loving, compassion, curiosity, being curious. Oh, so this is where this part resides and what it feels like. And the more you name it and be with it without judgment, again, the nervous system can start to process it and bring you back from an activated state to a neutral state. Yeah, I really love that explanation. I think that so many people don't even realize that they have these sensations. They just feel the feelings. So to be allowed, if you will, to to feel. But I also love what you're saying about actually naming it in as many different ways as you can. Color, texture, size, shape, you name it, right? Because it's that communication with the nervous system so that then it knows what it is. I think that's super helpful. I've actually never heard it explained in that way. I've, I've heard of it explained as you know being curious without judgment, but never in naming it in all these different ways. So I think that's something that is really, really helpful for people to help them to communicate better with the nervous system. And as you were saying earlier, the nervous system is really the biggest key to everything else in our body with autoimmunity, with inflammation, with all of the different disease states. So when that is calm, that is just going to allow for so much more healing. And in order to really get to the bottom of some of these beliefs with our mother learning and our father learning. It all goes back to that nervous system. And so I just think that this is so, so important. Now, Anat, for those people that want to take this a step further, you know, they can see that they've probably had a lot of these learnings. They could see that they may not have tended to their inner child and they, they know that there's such a big connection here. What else can they do? How can they connect with you? How they contact you? You also have a retreat coming up. So tell everyone a little bit more about that. Yeah. So if they want to connect with me, I'm very active on Instagram. Uh, 
I message every new follower eventually because um, I want to really get to know you and know how I can support you best. Um, but I am hosting a retreat June 7th to the 11th in San Diego. It's going to be my last one or my last one for a while as I'm stepping into motherhood myself. Um, and, you know, that's really an opportunity to be held in community, held and supported through some of your deepest, darkest, challenging parts uh, so it's like creating when you don't feel safe or you don't want to hold your inner child, having the experience of that extra support, someone spotting you, so to speak, and holding you through stuff so that you can have an experience of the freedom and the growth and transformation that's available on the other side of the part of you that is scared, that is resistant that is possibly doubtful that's wonderful and we're going to post all of the links to how to connect with you in the retreat in the show notes this was so informative and i know that this is going to open up so many different doors for people and just allow them to look at things a little bit differently to help them to really figure out where some of their health issues could be coming from so anat thank you so much for being here and for all of this amazing information Thank you. As you just heard, how we tend to our nervous system and the specific beliefs about health and life in general are things that we naturally pick up from our parents or other caretakers at a very early age before we actually have a logical mind and can really think about it. These mother and father learnings are how we go on to create beliefs, some of which can really propel us forward and others that are more limiting type of beliefs can severely hold us back in many areas of our life. With Mindy, we first worked on the biochemistry and we looked at balancing her immune system. We looked at all of the different triggers and found that there was a parasite. She had some EBV. She also had some H. pylori, which is a bacteria that grows in the gut. And so we supported that. We then looked at her thyroid more in depth and figured out that she was the low T3 type, meaning that she wasn't converting her T4 to T3. So we did all of the appropriate support by looking at her liver and her gut and specific minerals, as well as adjusted the thyroid medication that she was on so that we're supporting her for her low T3 type. And then as we were working on the biochemistry, we started looking at the various limiting beliefs. She had many, as all of us do. And so we used a lot of different modalities to clear those. What's important to remember when it comes to beliefs is that those reside in our subconscious mind. So we can't just talk about it because if we talk about it, we're more in our beta state or in our logical mind. And so intellectually, we can understand that, yeah, this belief isn't true, or I don't want this belief, or that's not how I want to feel. But just because we understand it intellectually doesn't actually mean that that belief will go away. We understand it, but it's almost like it's stuck deep down in the subconscious mind, which is why things like hypnosis or using EMDR type of techniques are a lot more beneficial at getting to the bottom and then clearing and releasing those beliefs. Now, this takes time. It's not something that happens overnight, but it really works. 
we all have limiting beliefs and it's so, so helpful to identify those and clear them. And now if you want to expedite this process of figuring out and clearing those beliefs, Anat is my go-to person for this because she does this process in a very immersive way where you identify and clear the beliefs while tending to your nervous system to make sure that these beliefs really leave and don't get stuck in the physical body. She has a five-day retreat coming up and you can do all of this in five days. It works so well because you're literally immersed in all of this for the week, which is why you can do this so quickly and so effectively. You can see much more information on her website, which is trainingcampforthesoul.com. And she also provided everyone listening a coupon code, which is INA, I-N-N-A, And this code will get you $150 off the retreat. I will put all of those things in the show notes so that you can see all of the information. And if Mindy sounds like someone you know, would you please share this episode with them? This way they could see all of the different things that they could do that they might not have thought about in the past. And as always, when it comes to your health issues, please remember that no matter what's going on, the answers are out there and there is hope. We sometimes have to look at it from a little bit of a different lens or a different angle, but there's always something. So please do not give up on your health issues. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next time on Health Mystery Solved, Thyroid and Hashimoto's Revealed. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.